Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go now in five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the Chief Executive Officer of Inc. and the author of White Belt Thinking. Please welcome Mr. Simon Leslie. Simon, thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, of course. So Simon, let's just start with the first one, White Belt Thinking. I, I looked at the title of that book. I said, White Belt Thinking. Why would I want to think like a white belt? And then after reading a little bit about being always open to new ideas and always being in a curious and learning mindset. Tell me about the crux and the, um, the origin of a book like this. Well, it came out of, uh, it came out of a, a load of talks that we had during the, uh, during the lockdown of COVID. Um, and as I'm editing the, my new book, I noticed that a few people kept talking about this white belt thinking, white belt thinking, and you got to think like a beginner all the time. You've got to wake up. Every day is a new day, and you get to wake up and have new opportunity. And too many people achieve some small, medium, even large amounts of success. And then what happens is that they stop doing the actions or the behaviors that got them to where they are. And I think that's what... Um, the, the ethos of the book is it's, look, no matter how good you are, it's not how good you are, it's how good you can be. And what's your potential? And if you think like a beginner, if you think with an open mind, if you don't think, if you don't have, yeah, we've done it, we tried that before, or we did this before, or, you know, we don't do that around here. If all these thoughts come into your mind, it just shows you your mind is closed. Mm. And, I, and I'll give you the, the reverse of it, the reverse question, which is, how long do you think it takes for an average person to get a black belt? 12 years? It's never. 
Never. Never. Average people don't get black belts. So it it, it, right. it really is it <laughs> it really is um, you know a, a beautiful little fable. Um, I was always inspired by the book The Go Giver. I don't know if you've read that, um, and which was was just a lovely story about you know doing nice things for nice people. And this is a book about um, a young Irish boy who finds a mentor who believes in him, who gives him a little bit of belief. And off he comes, and he becomes a becomes a champion. And I think it, it's it's the um, navigation of that journey and the lessons you learn, and when you need to get your your hands slapped a little bit because you you stop you know you stop thinking you know it all, and you stop doing the things that got you to where you needed to get to. Um, and there's lots of there's lots of lovely anecdotes and uh, quotes. A lot of them are mine. A lot of them are borrowed from people who've inspired me over the years. Um, the forward is written by a guy called Billy Schwer, who was he was a boxer when I was growing up. He was a boxer that I admired because um, he won his world title at his fourth attempt. So most people might have given up by then. You know, he'd taken a lot of big beatings, and uh, at his fourth attempt, he became the world champion. And you know, I took a lot from his story and. Uh, and use some of that within the book as well. Well, there's something to say about those people that can get to some pinnacle of success and be at the top of the mountain and start all over again, find a new path, start from the bottom. And I think there's some humility that comes along with that. What are some key personality traits that one has to conquer or, um, I guess, obtain in order to keep that beginner's mindset? I mean, it really was apparent during the last 22 months of how much I had to go back and think about what do I do? You know, there's there's no playbook, there's no uh, manual that I can use right now to help me through this this period because we've never experienced anything like this before. You know, we're we're in the travel industry. Through every single event in the last. 25 years we've managed to come through it okay unscathed because the airlines just carried on taking passengers now they might have lost money because their fares were too low but people were on the planes for the first time ever in in our living history did travel get switched off you know airports closed their doors airplanes switched off um and i had to really go back and think right what do i want actually who do i want to be at the end of this this uh pandemic when it does finally finish what do i want the business to look like and what what memories do i want to have of this this of this time and 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 how can i how can i actually help the people who work for me because right now they need help and and even even coming out of it you know they probably need help even more right now because inflation is absolutely eating into what little money that they they've saved or retained Hmm. and and when when you take that concept of the white belt to the inevitable or not the inevitable black belt you you have some stages in between some learning pains some growth pains some adjustments you have to make some mistakes you have to make in order to learn what were some of those mistakes um, that you learned from the most A great question. <laughs> I, 
And, and, and the simple answer is you only learn from mistakes. You don't learn when things are going really well. Mm. When things are when things are rosy, you're absolutely cruising and you think you're great at everything. So you need challenges. I always say that problem, the quality of your problems are the bigger your problems, that's how that's how big your growth spurt is. Because when you're not, if you're not facing adversity, challenges, real problems, you know, where you feel like spears are coming at you from every side then you're not really growing you're just you're in the, in that you're you're staying within your belts mm. you know but as you want to progress through the belts you know the, the challenges get harder the exercises get harder the opportunities get bigger um and uh, for me it it's uh i don't get upset or annoyed by problems anymore i, I really get they motivate me because I'm thinking to myself, right, that means I'm about to break through to something to to another level. Because mm. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here if I if I didn't have these problems or these opportunities. Mm. Got it. Got it. When it comes to your employees, you keep mentioning them, uh, this philosophy of making mistakes and let's say a, a bend don't break philosophy. How do you set expectations uh, for your employees? What do you expect from them and, and how do you push them to make sure that they're also uh, getting to that level of uncomfortableness? Sorry, I didn't hear the question. When you think about bending your employees and not breaking them, by pushing them, motivating them to go beyond what they think is, is possible, what is your philosophy on uh, motivating your employees? Oh, these are great questions. I, I think the I've got so many different um, thoughts going through my head right now. I want people, as I said, to be as good as they possibly can be. And sometimes they don't know what their levels are. Mm. You know, that that's the biggest challenge that um, I've probably had it over the years is that I will push people because I believe they have more potential than they're showing or that they believe they have because their belief is only as big as the information they've received from whoever it is, be it their teachers, be it their parents. You know, if they tell them they're not good enough or they tell them they can't do anything, that's their belief system. Mm. Whereas mine is, we are capable of doing anything. We're capable of achieving anything. We're capable of being any anything and anybody. And we have to create a legacy that that people will, you know, when we've gone or if we don't work here anymore, that people will talk about us fondly. And I want you to be um, an icon within our business. I want people to always say, look at you and say, I want to be like you. Mm. Thought I'm going to break into the Jungle Book then. Um, but that, that's that's what I think is really important. Is look how how do we how do we create an environment where we can all perform at our best, and we can all bring out the best in each other, and we can all get better at the same time. And 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 that doesn't mean get better at the same time because it's impossible to get better at the same time. But we're all improving. And and what's really important to understand is is marginal gains. When you suddenly become a little bit successful, you're not going to have the same gains that you had to get to where you are now now the gains start getting smaller and smaller and that's the biggest thing i have to educate people about is that the gains the initial gains are always a little bit bigger and then as you improve the gains get a little bit smaller mm. 
Because mm. yeah. you assume that you could just keep doing more and more and more and, and getting more and more just because you, you did that in the beginning. Well, it, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to keep that, to get that, that next level of improvement. Mm. I like that. I think, you know, that's, that's natural leadership, right? It's like, there's nothing more that you like than to help people see a better version of themselves. And that's, that's what a leader is, right? That's naturally and innately, they want to go out and change and influence others by helping them, serving them. I like what you were saying about, you know, the belief systems that people within organizations or just in society have adapted by failing on a test, not being smart enough, uh, not being good enough to get into a specific program or a specific uh, company. Um, how, when, when employees come into your organization, uh, what are some ways you're reprogramming them, if you will, to make sure that they can, like, like I mentioned earlier, see a better version of themselves? I'd like to um, retrain them. <laughs> I mean, I, I do like to take people on who are starting out in their career. You know, I, I've always had the belief that, you know, you can take people from school, they don't have to go to university, they don't have to go to college. And and just, they come in with a white belt thinking, with a white belt mentality, and they will do what they're told to do rather than, you know, when they've come in and they've had too many years of experience in, 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 in an industry or in a sector or in a company, it's very hard to retrain that out of them. Um, so, so I do like them to come in and 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 have a fresh mind and a fresh open mind and we put them through quite intensive training to make sure that they understand the whole psychology of sales the psychology of what they're about to do because when 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 you're when you're live in front of a customer you've got to be able to to handle whatever's thrown at them and and today the objections or rejections or excuses or no's are just so varied. I mean, we, we get a whole load of excuses we've never had before. Um, and that, that, you know, that really started before COVID. It was sort of, you know, budget, timing, audience. Those were the three things that people said, well, we're not really interested in, in the, you know, you don't have the right people. Now it's, we've got war, we've got COVID, we've got masks, we've got, Whatever excuse you want to come up with, now we've got to decide how we overcome that. Travel is not a great space. I don't want to be associated with travel. I don't want to be associated with this sector or that sector, or I don't like this, I don't like that. So now we've got to be much more adaptable. So we need to train. We, we, we've even realized even through this, we've had to train our people differently and give them, you know, much different, give them different skills to be able to cope with the, uh, with the job that they have to do today. To you, what makes a good collaboration? Uh, I just, to me, a collaboration is not, that's that's not, the, those things are not the same things. You know, open feedback and communication is just what they are. Collaboration is more who we, who we work with and how we, um, how we bring out the best in everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and do you have an approach i mean obviously you know uh you're humble enough to know you don't have all the answers and by collaborating with other individuals uh you can achieve a desired outcome a little bit faster 
Uh, how is collaboration being used uh, in your business and maybe even with competitors in your industry? Give you a really good story. When we went into Hungary for the first time, and I had a lot of Hungarians, I remember with this young lady, and she said to me, look, they won't pay full price in Hungary. You know, it's all very cheap. You know, they have a perception that their market is very poor. And I have this perception that I don't think they are. I just think they just don't understand the value or they don't understand the product as well as they should do. And I remember going with her and she said to me, look, we're going into this meeting. I've, I've offered, I don't know I'm whispering. <laughs> I offered them a, um, a special price and I offered them 50% off and they said no. And I went, okay. 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, we come out of the meeting and they just signed a contract for three months at full price. And she goes, but, but I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, I offered them at half price and they didn't want it. You offered them at full price and they bought it. I said, it's all about the stories we tell. But you've got this mindset in your head that your market is cheap. Your people don't have the money to pay. Therefore, that's the outcome you're going to get. I go in there believing that, you know, if I tell them a good enough story and they believe me, we're going to get we're going to get the full price because we deserve it because our product deserves it. Why should we sell it cheap? And really, after that day, she went on and she she went from just a junior salesperson. Then she ran the team. She ran the magazine. She then became publisher. Um, she ended up marrying one of uh, one of her, one of our colleagues, having a baby. So you know that was the for me that was the ethos of this business. You know, people who met. Here, they grew as uh, employees. They went through the um, through their career and ended up falling in love as well. So, you know, that was definitely one of my highlights and success stories. There, there's something about that I think a lot of uh, early stage organizations fail to do. And, and that's simply just that, understanding what they're worth and telling a great story to you from a psychological, let's say, sales perspective. What makes... A compelling story. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. <laughs> that that's the formula for a great story. <laughs> okay, this is what's in it for you. And this is what's in it for me, and this is what we're going to get out of this. Mm. You know, they're they're the simple foundations of a great story, but ultimately. I need to understand where their pain is. I can't tell you a story. I can't fix a problem if I don't know where the where the solution is. You know, if you walk into the doctor and the doctor says, okay, I'm going to give you a prescription for um, a sore throat. And you go, yeah, but that's not why I came in here. Yeah, but it's a good prescription. You know, I'm a doctor. I've been 25 years a doctor. Listen to me. Trust me. You've got a sore throat. You go, no, 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 no. It doesn't make any sense. I, you know, I've got pain in my ear. No, it's all to do with your throat. Here, take these tablets four times a day. Thanks a lot. Next. Mm. You know, and that's what most people try and do. They try and fix a problem that's not the real problem right. in order to, to, to go through their quota or whatever they need to do to get through their days, to get enough no's, to say, yes, I'm getting closer to a yes. The, the truth is, until we really understand the problem that we're trying to fix, we can't tell a story. We can't fix anything. And... It's not normally, you don't normally get it on the first or second attempt, by the way, as well. It sometimes takes a lot longer to find out what the real problem is. Mm. And the main reason is most companies don't even know where their problems are. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like you're shoving something down someone's throat that they don't want. And that's always a bad experience. Um, 
You know, Simon, you mentioned earlier on the show, and, and this I think will resonate with a lot of uh, people listening out, out there to this, and that is when COVID happened and a lot of people stopped flying or going into businesses, many business owners had to change what they were selling. They had to change um, their business model. Did you experience a similar change and how did you manage the change from a cultural perspective within your organization? Well, we had to change everything. Before COVID, we had 36 in-flight magazines. We were definitely the king of the in-flight magazine. Um, and today we've got three. So with we've we, we just come off the greatest year that we'd ever had, 2019. And here we are now going, oh my gosh, we haven't got much of a business left. So we, we acquired a, a small digital agency, a digital business, which we've um, revamped, recharged, re-energized, really invested in quite heavily, which allows us to target travelers at every point of their journey. So it gave us a lot of data and science that told us when passengers are traveling, where they're going to, what they're searching for. So that gave us lots of information that we didn't know before. We then took our TV network, which we had at the airports, and um, we expanded that. Um, we got, oh, I, I, like, I don't mind saying we got lucky because I think there's a lot of luck in life and, you know, the harder I seem to work, the luckier I seem to get. Um, and we got lucky because CNN decided to to leave the airport and we took over a lot of their screens and all of a sudden our our little, our, our mid-sized network suddenly became the biggest airport network in the world. And um, that gave us an opportunity to really focus on that. And, you know, we went from a print a heavy print business to a tv and digital business now some people call that a digital transformation not me i don't i don't think it's a digital transformation i think it was just a an evolution of what we did we used to sell adverts in magazines now we sell adverts on television and on digital mm. and we still sell some adverts on magazines as well mm. and and how many acquisitions had you been involved in prior to this before before COVID or before COVID, before you acquired the digital marketing agency, um, I've done a few acquisitions since since uh, since Mar since April twenty twenty. I've done six now, wow. so I've definitely I'm I'm definitely growing, um, getting much better at it, and and I think again that's again that's a that's a confidence issue. The more you say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to, this is what I'm good at. You seem to attract that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the opportunities every day. I have phone calls of people who are, who either want to sell or know someone who wants to sell. Um, so I'm, I'm quite good at finding opportunities and I've got about another six in the mixer. That's impressive. I mean, even one acquisition is a lot for, for the companies. I mean, uh, tell me, a lot of people seem to resist change, resist control when they get acquired or bought out by a larger organization. Uh, there's different stages of this resistance. People hate it. They're against it. They're going to leave. They're open to it. They're interested. It's working for them. I mean, you know, there's different stages of this change. What has your experience been in change and how have you led through it? 
it's really interesting because I, I keep finding acquisitions where they need us. Mm. You know, one of the things that we've always been really good at is sales. We bring this sales engine to a lot of businesses. So a lot of the businesses I found, I just added that element to, to their business. You know, mm. I, I, I also found businesses with great leaders or with great brands or with great concepts. And all we're doing is just adding the sales element to it. And that way they, they get the funding to be able to do what they love doing. They get the ability to, to grow their business. So they organically, we all, we all rise together. And I think, you know, the challenge is always if the, if the egos and the, um, the people clashes you know we've got we've got suddenly we've got four cfos and we've got you know four marketing people but i've been very very lucky in the in the opportunities i found they either don't have any teams at all and i'm just buying bones um or they the teams you know fit in beautifully with what we're doing and we complement each other perfectly mm. uh, and where are you in terms of like before you purchase that organization are are you making sure that they're checking certain boxes what makes an attractive organization for you that's that you know is going to be a good fit i'm looking for things which are going to be within our wheelhouse so i'm not trying to do anything too clever you know i'm i'm a travel media specialist now um so as long as it fits nicely within our travel media sphere or actually what we what we did with the tv network is one of the first deals we did was we signed um, up with uh, the NFL. So we got to play live sport at the airport. So what we're doing now is we're transitioning from a gener generalist, I guess you'd call us, TV network, where we had content from lots of different networks, to now being the home of live sport and entertainment at the airports in, in travel. Because I'm, but hopefully by the time this comes out, I should be able to announce that we've... Uh, We've now got live sports in planes and in the airports. Um, so we will be able to show, depending where you're flying from, um, and you've got the, they've got the technology on the planes, you'll be able to watch live games on the plane as well. So you'll, in theory, if you're traveling, you should never, and, and you plan properly, you should never miss a game ever again. Yeah, no, that's great. Congratulations. I mean, that's big time. Uh, and, and how was the Super Bowl? I saw you, uh, you attended that. Oh wow! It was fun. It was. Uh, I was. I was lucky enough to be there with a with a Navy SEAL, and he was talking through strategy, and uh, he's now in business. And it was just. It was a. It was a wonderful start today, just talking about business and war, and how you know how planning for for engagement and how planning for businesses are are quite similar, um, and how they think about things and see things and. Uh, he was telling me he was number two in his business. Come on, we've got to get you to number one. And um, he starts making excuses. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not part of your uh, motto. We need to, no excuses. He goes, no, you're right. We, we need to we need to focus on that. And then the game was unbelievable, you know, being a home Super Bowl. You know, I don't understand the game as well as you probably do, but uh, they seem to let the game carry on until the until LA one, but uh, that might be the margaritas talking. Right, right, no, definitely. <laughs> well, you know, Simon, there, there's been something that's been very consistent throughout a lot of your answers, and that's been, you know, the the mindset that one needs to have in order to succeed. And for listeners listening to this, and just on audio on Spotify on Apple Podcasts, Simon's got a sign behind him. 
It reads, success is driven by belief. What advice do you have for folks listening out there who are going through an acquisition, who are going through change in their life, who are going through their own transformation? What advice can you give to them? I think the most important thing is is a belief that the future is going to be better than the present. Uh, it's definitely faith over fear. That's the way I live my my life. I think if I wake up in the morning, I know it's going to be a good day. I think too many people are... Um... Let me ask you a question. Have you ever woken up, sort of looked over at your partner and said, I don't really like you? No, woken up and thought... I don't. I, I've got to go to work today. Oh God, I don't really like you. I don't like my job. I don't like my life. I don't like lots of aspects. The kids are driving me crazy. You know, so many people are in this state of unhappiness with with the with the conditions they find themselves in. And I think it's really important that first thing you're going to fix before you fix anything else in your business in your life is fix you find just find that find some happy place for you to wake up so when you look over your partner and you're like you're pleased that she's there you're pleased that you get to go to work you're pleased that you get up and get another day and you're enjoying what you're doing that that's the first point the second point is forever is a long time it really is. It's it's a beautiful motto that one of my employees told me, her mother told her, and, and, I, and I think it is, you know, I've been doing this 27 years now, and it feels like yesterday, but it's also a bloody long time. And I think that that's the thing you need to think about. If you're about to do an acquisition, if you're about to do change management, if you're about to do some sort of disruption, are you happy with it, with, with this for the next 10, 15 20 years can you live with it can you keep doing this can you get yourself out of bed every morning and feel excited about the opportunity of the day because if you can't you shouldn't be doing it and really have a deep hard think about whatever you're about to do outside the arena that's the best advice i give you because too many times you're making decisions whilst you're in the ring mm. as opposed to get out the ring look at it from a different angle go and take some space have a walk and think about What's the upside? What's the downside? Can I live with the downside? Mm. And if you can live with the downside, then it's okay to do that deal. Because sometimes the upside gets you excited, but you're not you're not looking at what the downside is. Powerful, powerful. And we hear that often, right? It's like your off court, your on court performance is affected by your off court performance habits. What are you doing? on a personal note outside the arena to make sure that when you're in the arena, in the work mode, uh, you're not being distracted or overreacting to the things that are happening outside. Improve that over the years. And um, what I've started doing over the last, coming up for 14 months now, is I started writing poems and just holding up a poetry book for those that you can see and those of you can't. Um, on Instagram every day, I post a motivational poem. This is actually the work of the first year, only 400 poems in there. Um, all of them are really um, just 
what was that exactly that my thinking on that day how was I feeling and I put it down and then try to turn it into a four-word poem and just go four-line poem just to say this is this is what's going through my mind and this is the the way you need to to reframe it or relook at it and for a you know chest beating alpha male you know being a poet is not something that people expect from me especially today you know I walk around with these books and people say what do you do I say I'm a poet and I say you know have a book and it, Honestly, it's be. I feel like sometimes I feel like a Bible salesman because I, you know, this is my Bible in some ways. I'm I'm leaving this as a as my as my gift in the drawer. You know, even uh, how many Uber drivers I give the book to, and you know, I, you can't buy them anywhere. The only place you get them is if you find me and either write to me and ask me nicely and I'll send you one, or I meet you somewhere serendipitously and you say. Be nice to me, and I'll leave it to you, leave it with you as a gift. You know that that's there's there's one poem in there where I talk about you know the idea of life is to find your gift and then give it away. And I do find I do think that my gift is telling stories, is creating verse, creating using words for the good, for good, for positiveness, for kindness, for happiness. Um, and if I keep doing that, then I, I guess I'm going to attract more. You know, no, nobody who was ever good and kind and helpful didn't have people surrounding them. Right. In all of our history. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I truly believe in that. And, you know, your philosophy, right? I mean, how many mentors are you reaching out to a week? Well, during, during the pandemic, I, I, had this challenge that there was what do I do now because I can't do anything with this team I've got 170 salespeople what how am I going to keep them engaged and I spent um a few sleepless nights thinking what the hell are we going to do with them and then I I've I, I sort of clicked back to 2007 or 2008 and I said what was what was the best thing I could do then the best thing you could do then was be be acquisitive you know go and go and talk to other people because people were being laid off left right and center and we were like no let's let's go and find some great talent and at the beginning that's what i thought it would be an opportunity to do and i reached out to people who i knew who had either coached or mentored me over the years and i said look can you come in and talk to my team they they need they need something they need just Give me an hour of your time. Look, I cannot give you anything in return. I can't give you any money. I've got no money. I've got all I can promise you is that when my business is back on its on its feet again, I will I will repay you somehow. And um, I got fifty two different people came in. Only three said no to me in of all my requests. Um, some of the biggest names in motivation some people you've never heard of who had just had the most inspirational and superb stories. And, and what I realized was that there's so many people wanted to help us, mm. wanted to help me, I guess. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. And now, you know, tomorrow I'm giving a talk Thursday, I'm giving a talk. I'm getting asked to do the same thing. 
and I think the the law of reciprocity is so important. So, you know, I want to I want to help and coach and mentor people. You know, I've got um, three young business owners who are, who I do mentor, um, who I'm helping through. One is happens to be my son, but he's a bloody good operator too. And and the beautiful thing about that is is he's taken my playbook that I built my business on because he worked for me for three years straight out of school. And he's put it into a different industry. You know, he's selling something, but but it's a completely different sector. And he's, it's running perfectly and it's running beautifully and it's growing. Mm. And I just thought that that gave me two moments of joy. One that he's doing well and, and I should be, I should be, I am very proud as a father. But two, that this playbook that, you know, people made fun of me for for many many years and said it was stupid and you know the way I did things was wrong and all the other criticisms that I was that was labeled at me was actually was a blue bulletproof um system mm. and uh, that made me feel even more powerful and and also you know the critics were there to make me better and they're just like the problems you know they they were there to just to, sh to show me that I had to keep going through that next level. And I think too many people today are so beaten down too easily by criticism or complaints or people challenging them that they don't ever get to the the next level of, of competence. Hmm. I'm a firm believer in that, especially, you know, starting a podcast. You know, it's like, what are your friends going to say? You know, or will, will people be able to take you seriously? anymore uh the reviews youtube you know uh, all the comments that happen on there and, and and i guess what i found is like you know people usually don't spend more than 10 seconds thinking about negative criticism it's not like they go throughout their day and goes oh simon you know his playbook is horrible and then every single day they wake up and say hey his playbook's horrible and so i, I think you're right i think you're spot on that is people let criticism get to them uh and, and really tear down a lot of their their dreams and what do you think is going on in their mind that they, uh, you know, in the, the best thing that they could do with their life today is to have a go at you or me or anybody, you know, that says a lot about them and, and how unhappy their life is probably is that more than, you know, we're on here enjoying ourselves, celebrating um, what what a good situation should should look and feel like. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Simon, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today, sir. Um, I love your quote, find your gift and give it away. I think that's a very powerful statement to, to wrap up on. But let's bring this home, uh, Simon Leslie. What is your definition of a real leader? You know, if you call yourself a leader because you have that title and you stand in an office and you wear a suit and you say, I'm a leader, it's a bit like saying, if you stand in the middle of a car park, you're a car. You know, a leader is not a title. It's not, you're not something. You're a leader because you bring people with you on the journey. You help and empower and leave them better than you found them. If you're not doing those things, you're not just a, you're not a leader. You, you might have that title, but it's just a title. It's just words. You know, the art 
and the job of a leader is to help people achieve things that they do not think they're capable of achieving in their wildest dreams. My Mine has always been to take them to places that they thought they'd never get a chance to go to. So I've sent people off to every corner of the world. They've seen the sights, the sounds, the smells of all the most amazing um, things you could ever see. I had people on the top of the Great Wall of China, people swimming in the Great Barrier Reef, um, walking with apes in Rwanda, you know, in Argentina riding ponies and playing, learning to play polo. You know, these are kids who came out of council estates in, in the UK. These are things that just they would never have achieved in their wildest dreams. We played polo in Sri Lanka on the beach. Uh, just before COVID, there was 15 of us going up to the North Pole. It was like, that was the last trip that I had booked that uh, <laughs> that we never got to do. But that's, to me, what real leadership is, is to give people the experiences, the adventures, and the growth that they never thought they could ever achieve. For Simon Leslie, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there and remember, leadership is not a title. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Simon. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Realtors Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a $100 a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes, enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive access to all of Real Leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real.